Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. This is a time, this Passover, uh, as uh, Shelby mentioned, the Seder, those of you who are, have uh, registered, signed up for that. This is a time that involves not only celebration and worship and, and customs and traditions, biblically sound customs and traditions, but uh, can I say this now? I don't want anyone to take this wrong, but it also involves food, <laughs> food. And every time I mention food when I'm up here at this time of the day, I think about lunch, lunch over there. And if you're, if you're curious and you look at Scripture, the many times that Scripture speaks about food, actually it may surprise you how often Scripture speaks about food in many different manners. And we could start from the book of uh, Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and go all the way up to the Revelation and have many different passages. But I want to commend to you two passages of Scripture from the Brit Chadashah, from the New Covenant. The first one is, I know at least one person has told me this here in this congregation, this is his favorite Scripture. And I have to admit that I, I, I could put my initials next to that idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Dayenu. I mean, that would be enough, that statement right there. Do all to the glory of God. How big is the word all? Well, it's only three letters in actuality. But it is a big word, the word all. The second passage I would commend to you is Romans chapter 14, verse 17 which is a, pastor that really, a passage that gives us some uh, wonderful perspective on this whole concept concerning eating and drinking. By the way, the author of the 1 Corinthians passage and the author of the Romans passage was the same person. Rav Shaul, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, commonly called Paul the Apostle. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And he also wrote in Romans 14, 17, New King James Version, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Will you read that with me? Let's say that out loud. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot to be said about that, and this is not my main text here this morning. But clearly, as, uh, it's pretty easy to be caught up with eating and drinking. I mean, think about it. How many of you have watched chef shows or food shows on television? You don't have to raise your hand, but probably everyone has seen them. Or you've encountered a favorite recipe and you've clipped it out. I don't know if we still do newspaper and printed things anymore. Or you saved it on your iPad. 
you know, that type of thing. It, it's there. It's an important part of our lives. Probably even this morning you had something to eat and drink. I hope so. If you haven't, I need to make this a very short message so you can get over to the other side of the Havra room before you expire among us, and we don't want that to happen. But it does say the kingdom of God is not. That's a big word too, is it? The word all is a big word. The word not is a big word because if you remove the word not from this passage, and by the way, almost every passage where the word N-O-T occurs, it totally changes the meaning, makes it antithetical. Without the word not, you know what it says? For the kingdom of God is eating and drinking. And some people feel that's what it is. And their focus is upon that in life. And can I suggest to all of us that that is a misfocus? Misfocus means a missed focus. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And admittedly, at this Pesach time, many of us Many of us have been concerned about do we have yeast in our homes. Christopher mentioned it in the, as we went into worship. Do we have yeast, chametz? Do we have chametz in our home? Did we get rid of all the breadcrumbs? Did we get rid of the yeast? I know in our family we do what I think is a thorough search, and I was surprised this year that we had a box of yeast. <laughs> a box. And I don't want to say a little Catan box, a little box, but a good-sized box of yeast and stuff like breadcrumbs. And, and, you know, it was hidden in places that I didn't even think of. Progresso soup. Some of those yeasty beasties are in there. <laughs> there. But it's obvious that God's kingdom is more important than culinary or dietary matters. His kingdom that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be yielded in our eating and drinking to the Lord. Actually, that's why I read 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, whether you eat or drink, it's presupposing that that's something we will do. Actually, we do need to do that. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Scripture speaks against gluttony. Scripture also speaks against withholding food from those who are hungry and many other statements concerning food. But God's kingdom is more important than culinary or dietary matters. And as we look at those matters, culinary, dietary matters, when we look at those things, we realize that there are other areas in our lives that God's kingdom must supersede, it must be greater than. And can I put it this way, over those areas. God must be over those areas. And if we deny God full access to areas of our lives, we're making a mistake. If we withhold things from the Lord, by the way, He knows anyway. (laughs) He knows anyway. And if we think that we can pull the proverbial wool over God's eyes, we're making a serious mistake in life. And some people will live their whole lives like that, thinking, can I say it this way, thinking they fooled God or they got away with a fast one before the Lord. Can I say, and I don't mean to be crude in my English here, but it ain't gonna happen. It ain't. So if you are withholding access 
to the Lord in certain areas of your life, you think, these are mine. These are really mine. I don't need to go. Uh, you know, these are mine, Lord. You have that over there, and I will go on Shabbat or Sunday to service, but the rest is mine. It's a mistake. We're called to consistently honor the Lord in our lives and in every area. Areas like relationships, that we put the Lord first in our relationships. Areas like our time. We make sure that we seek God with our time. How many of you, you found that more and more your, your life is turning towards prayer where you're speaking out to the Lord you, and, and places that maybe in the past you didn't like driving on I-40 or I-35 or places like that. If that's you, I want to be driving by you because I feel like you may have the Lord's protection over you in a special way. We don't want to withhold from the Lord our finances. We want him to have control over that. By the way, he's much more capable with these things than we could ever be. He's much more able to guide and direct and, and prosper us more than our own, our own wisdom could. And how about our educational choices? That's a big one, especially for younger people. But I hope that you are a person that's striving to learn the truth as, as it is in Yeshua. Striving to learn the truth as it is in the Word of God, that that's important to you, that you spend time educating yourself, as it, as it were, by the uh, influence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to learn more the Word of God, to treasure His Word deep in your heart, that you might not sin against Him, as the Word says in Tehillim and Psalms. And what about at our workplaces? Are you showing Yeshua strongly at your workplace? Sometimes I know it can be like this because in many secular jobs that I've worked, there are a couple of types of people. There are those that seem to be extremely crass and crude. And there are others that seem to toe the line and do the best that they could and weren't necessarily the most vulgar or the most, uh, how would I say, immoral, etc. But at your workplace is a great opportunity for you to show forth Yeshua to show that you're different. You're different because of his hand upon you. You're different because you believe holiness is important. You believe being set apart unto the Lord is important. You're different because you don't think the standards of the world are the right standards to live by. Even if they may be legal in a society, they may not be right in the sight of the Lord. And what about your own plans and goals? Do you acknowledge the Lord in all your ways? As Proverbs 3 says, that he might direct your paths. How significant is that? And I can tell you just thinking back over the years. Over the years, I've encountered many men and women who found themselves living in what I call the valley of regrets. It's a deep valley. And the more that they don't serve the Lord, the deeper the measure goes living in the valley of regrets because during their life they didn't seriously take God's call or they didn't take his call upon them seriously. They had their own ways. They didn't necessarily need God's ways. They had their own wisdom. They didn't really look to God for his wisdom. They had their own strength. They didn't really need the Lord's help. Why should they cry out to him, they thought, because they can do it themselves. 
And it, that, that call to God's kingdom to live according to the precepts of God's kingdom was something that in the valley regrets, or these people that are in the valley regrets, they, they pushed that aside in their lives and they put other things forward. And they said, Kadima with the world and Achora to God. Forward with the world and get behind me to God. What a mistake. That's a, that's a terrible thing the valley regrets when a person gets older and they have realized their whole life they put God aside. So instead of kingdom living, me, which means living by God's word and yielding to God's spirit, his Holy Spirit. They yielded to their own desires. And I hope I'm not speaking to anyone here today. But they yielded to their own desires. They set up their own kingdom, so to say, if I could state it like that. They set up their own kingdom. And, and though they, they, they would never say it this way, their actions prove that they considered their way in life better than God's way for them. And as I've already mentioned, they consider their wisdom in the area of relationships, their wisdom in the area of finances, their wisdom in the area of education, their wisdom to be superior to seeking God and his wisdom and his answer to all those equations. Because there is one thing I know about the Lord is that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder. But people in the valley regrets, they end up with regret at the end of life. Here's what Yochanan, John chapter 1 says in describing Yeshua. Those in the valley regrets think they're wiser than Yeshua. But notice what Yochanan, John chapter 1 says in verse 3. It says that all things were made through him. Ponder that for a moment. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Wow. I don't know how we say that in different languages, but I know the word wow seems to go across the globe. Sometimes it's vow, other times it's wow. But wow, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And then verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And later in John, in Yochanan chapter 8, verse 12, a passage very well known around the world. Yeshua, who had just, in a sense, shown mercy to the woman who had been caught in adultery, and you still wonder where that man was. He had shown mercy to the woman caught in adultery, and the implication is that if the man had been brought there too, he would have shown mercy to him. And he was chided and almost scorned by the religious leaders around him at that time. And then Yeshua said this in Yochanan, John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, Ani or haolam, I am the light of the world. And is your name in the next statement? Is your name there? Can you put your name in the blank? He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Can you put your name there? Are you the he or the she that follows him and doesn't walk in darkness? He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. 
And we can understand more fully as we read statements like this. And these are just two examples of some serious statements Yeshua made. Why the writer of the book of Messianic Jews, commonly called the book of Hebrews, why he begins his writing in the manner that he does. Curiously, he doesn't begin with a big salutation. He doesn't start his epistle, this general epistle to the Hebrews, the Messianic Jews, with greetings or anything like that, or niceties. Here's how the book of Messianic Jews begins. God... It starts out with the word God. (laughs) Does your life start out in the morning with God? Is that the first thing you're focused upon? The first one you're focused on? It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us. How? Spoken to us by his son. His son is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. He has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds, which we've already read of in John chapter 1. Literally, the Greek is he made the eons, the ages, all the essence of time he made. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. This is the Yeshua I'm talking about. When he had by himself purged our sins, underline that idea. By himself, he had by himself purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, a Hebraism to express. He took the place of authority. The initial statements in Hebrews chapter 1 that we just read, these initial statements, the first three or so verses They seem beyond us in many ways. Think about what I just read. I tried to emphasize some of it as I was reading it. For example, Yeshua is the heir of all things. How many things? All things. He's the heir. He was the creator of all things. He's the brightness of divine glory. He's the express image of deity. There we see him. When you look at Yeshua, you see divinity, deity. He is the one who upholds. He upholds all things. How? By the word of his power, he upholds all things. And he's the one who, as I mentioned, who's seated at the right hand of power on high. That's how this epistle begins. Actually, in some ways, I prefer this beginning. The niceties are nice. I mean, that's why we use the word niceties to describe them. But this particular passage points out just how glorious our Messiah is. And yet, there's one statement. There's one statement in these opening verses, in these opening statements that I've been repeating to you that we find in chapter 1 of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, that brings Yeshua, who is the Melech HaKavod, the king of glory, who brings him to a place we can connect with. Frankly, when we talk about the heir of all things and sustaining the world with his word, wow, that's powerful. But there is a statement in the opening words of the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews, that I hope you and myself can connect with in an intimate way. And that's the statement in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. By himself, 
Yeshua purged our sins. To state this in Passover terms, we're in the week of Passover now. Yeshua, who is the Lamb of God, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by means of His own shed blood on our behalf. He didn't lay down His life because He was sinful. He laid down His life because He was the propitiation for our sins. That's First John states it. He did it for you and for me when He went through His sufferings. When he suffered pain and mocking and scourging and crown of thorns on his head and the nailing to the etz, the tree, the execution stake, the cross. It wasn't because he was so sinful. It's because you and myself were on his mind. He was thinking about others. Isaiah 53 points points that out that he would be pleased by what he sees happens because of his own life. He did it for you and me. Yeshua, who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by means of his own shed blood on our behalf, causes, to use Passover terms, the angel of death to pass over us. Or if you prefer, from the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, literally the free gift of God, is eternal life through Yeshua, our Lord. Do you know it's not going to be through our own wisdom? It's not going to be because of our own connivings or because we're so clever or we're so righteous or we're so good. It's going to be because of him. He himself Yeshua himself purged our sins, blessed be his name. The Torah tells us that only those who applied the shed blood of the lamb to the doorposts of their homes in Mitzrayim in Egypt escaped the judgment that came quickly. The angel of death, as we say in English, Only those who had applied the blood. Exodus chapter 12 verse 13 is part of what God expressed to Moshe just before the very first Passover. Exodus 12 13 says, Now the blood shall be a sign, the Hebrew word is an ot, a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, ufasachti alechem, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt. You should take special note, I think we should. Take special note of where the blood was applied. It was applied on the lintels, as it's called in English, the doorpost of each home. They had to obediently apply that. It was an action of receiving the word and acting upon it. They were told they were to apply the blood, and they acted upon it. The book of Yaakov says it's this way, faith without works is dead. They weren't allowed to place the blood hidden somewhere in their home, in the closet, (laughs) Just thinking about that, putting blood hidden away in the closet is kind of gross, isn't it? 
But it was quite telling to put it outside on the doorpost, too. I mean, how many of you, please don't do that today. Take blood and put it on your doorpost. <laughs> but they followed and they did it. They didn't, they didn't put it in their back closet, hidden off somewhere. They didn't cover it over with the cushions of the couch. How many of you have done a little treasure hunting under the cushions of your couch? You don't need to acknowledge what you found. <laughs> By the way, let me give you a hint. If you really are trying to remove the yeast from your house, did you try the cushions in your sofa? <laughs> you might find some yeasty beasties hidden underneath there. And none of us can think we, are, we have it all down, we've gotten rid of all the yeast, because we find it every year. We're trying this year. We really did a, a slam-bang job on it, but I just realized that even we didn't check the cushions in the couch. <laughs> but they weren't allowed to, to smear the blood under the cushions of the couch where no one could see it, or hidden somewhere in the pots and pans section behind in the back, or hidden somewhere in the food pantry or the garage. They weren't allowed to do that. They were to put it outside on the doorposts of their house. It's obvious the blood was to be visible to all who came there. It was as they went in and as they went out, what was there? The blood. Is that how your life is? That when you go in and when you go out in your life, when you are about your business, that you realize that your whole eternity, you are beholden to Yeshua who, pur who personally purges your sin. And that you remember him when you go out of your door and you remember him when you come back in and you don't just hide the blood somewhere, so to say. It wasn't hidden away anywhere. The blood was visible in Mitzrayim. It could be seen not only by the people who lived in the house, but also by outsiders who passed the home. They could see the blood. Some of us are color challenged with red and green, but I understand that those colors can stand out. Red and green. The color of blood and it varies shades at various times of blood. But they came out from their house and those in the community, when they, individuals went in and out of their house and those in the community came past those homes, they could see the blood. Our faith in Messiah should not be hidden. It should not be hidden away, stored away that no one knows about. Because if you confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that he is Lord, you shall be saved. For with a man, we can, a person confesses unto righteousness. I've found as a new believer, it's been many years now, that the more I spoke about Yeshua to my friends, the more I was challenged about my faith. The more I mentioned Yeshua, mentioned the word of God, mentioned my trust in him, the more people were brought to a decision themselves. Sometimes it meant rejecting me personally, and let me ask you, how many of you have gone through that where you've had personal rejection because of your faith? Because they knew you were a believer. You weren't hiding it in some closet somewhere or in the pantry. But they knew you were a believer. I suggest to you that you confess the Lord in your home 
in your workplace, in your education place, that you confess him. We should make it known to those around us that we speak the truth in love, that in a sense we are living epistles for everyone to see, if we could use the new covenant terminology. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says, But even if our besorah, our gospel message, if it's hidden, if it's veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Who's the ones that don't see? It's the ones that really need the message. If we hide away the message, the ones who really need what we have to say, it's hidden from them. Other believers may recognize you as a believer, but your message is hidden from the very ones who are perishing from lack of trust in the Lord. But even if our best or our gospel message is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel, the Bessorah, of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And Matthew chapter 5 couldn't be more direct. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before who? Men. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Not filthy language. Not immoral stuff. They may see your good works. And you know what they're going to do? Glorify your Father in heaven. Let that be what they see. Your good works. Today there are many people around the world, including in Medinat Israel, in the state of Israel, who have received Yeshua, the Lamb of God, as their personal Lord and Savior. Many, every continent practically. I even understand there are believers in Antarctica. Every continent. They know that the Lamb of God, they know Him, they have a personal relationship with Him. And they know that it's Him who takes away the sin of the world as He was initially introduced by John the Baptist, Yohanan Matbil. They know that as they repent, as they repent and turn to and trust in Yeshua, that his shed blood provides atonement for them and cleanses them from all unrighteousness, as first Yohanan says. Sadly, there are many others, many others who refuse to turn from sin and refuse to receive the Messiah. I hope that's no one here. I hope that's not your situation that you've hardened your heart and you've hardened your mind, you've hardened your being against the Lord. That is a lesson in futility. We all need him. And for those who disregard him and refuse to turn to him, the consequences of their own ways then become the fruit of their life the consequences of their own ways. And sometimes things, they go, things go well, and they, wow, I'm not making the right decisions. But ultimately, there is this thing that's called mavet, death, that awaits all of us. Except this one generation when Yeshua returns, who will meet him in the air. And a person who has not received Yeshua is living their life without the atoning personal work of the Lord in their lives. I don't want to be in that state. I do not. 
That reminds me of the words of a man named John. John is an elderly lay minister in a Baptist church in South Carolina. Interesting person. He's been married for nearly 50 years. He has a slew of children and grandchildren. And as I said, he's a lay minister. He's not what you would call an ordained minister. He just, at times, he steps in and and speaks and goes to nursing homes and plays hospitals and has the opportunity at times to share the Lord. Interesting fellow. Very solid, married over 50 years, many children and grandchildren. And if we could say in a vernacular, has a whole lot of life under his belt. And he was asked to bring a message one Sunday morning at his church. And previously, the biggest stir that John had caused, (laughs) the biggest stir he had caused, that he had created was a stirring that really wasn't about passion or anything. It was about laughter. It caused the stir of laughter. And as he described, it was at at a social gathering, and he had been asked to tell everyone something funny that had happened to him over the years of his lay ministry. And John answered, and he said this, quote, In a nursing home, I had an elderly lady get up from her seat, walk down the aisle, and try to get the microphone away from me, all the time declaring as she did that that I wasn't talking loud enough and she was going to show me how to use the microphone. Please don't do that here. <laughs> and then he, he, he humorously says, he says, I won the wrestling match. <laughs> He's the one that ended up with the microphone. The lady wasn't able to get the microphone. And thereafter, several times when he went back to that same place, several times, the microphone-grabbing lady came back to hear him. But she didn't come alone. (laughs) She wanted the last word, so she brought her cat. (laughs) Have you ever heard the expression, herding cats? How many have heard that expression before? So she brought her cat... But as John related, and this is where his biggest stir was, he caused everyone to laugh at as he was telling this story, this true story of the lady that tried to grab the microphone from him at the nursing home because he wasn't speaking loud enough. And he wins the wrestling match. He ends up with the microphone, but then she starts coming back with her cat. But he said this, and the whole crowd went bananas at this point. He said... But the cat was a good listener. (laughs) He didn't want to say anything about her, but the cat's a good listener. Well, as I mentioned, this same person was asked to bring a message on a Sunday at his church in South Carolina, and he was hoping that there would be no microphone grabbers in attendance that Sunday. And when that Sunday came around, here's a man who was known for his humorous statement about the microphone-grabbing lady and her cat. But when that Sunday came around, when he was to preach, he proceeded to, to deliver to them, this small congregation, to deliver to them an unforgettable message. And I want to share a little bit of what he said to them. His text that day was from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And I'm going to messianic, guys. I hope you don't mind, but 
I'm going to messianicize some of the, 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 the words. For example, instead of Christ, I prefer to say Messiah and also Yeshua for Jesus most of the time. But here was his text, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. At that time you were without Christ, without Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Woo! No hope without God. But now, verse 13 of Ephesians 2, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off, you have been brought near how? By the blood of Messiah. That was his text that day. And here are some excerpts from his message that day. His, his, the excerpts, his message revolved around two words. The idea of without Christ, without the Messiah. That was what he spoke about. Did you notice that? You were without Christ, without the Messiah. And he told his hearers the following, quote, without Yeshua, without the Messiah, without Christ, you are without a Savior. And then he asked them, and what will you do? You're without a Savior. What will you do? What will become of you when you find out that you need a Savior but it's too late. You are without Messiah. Without Yeshua, even though you may be as rich as Rockefeller and as famous as Elvis Presley and as wise as Socrates, you still will be naked and poor and miserable since you don't have the one who made all things and for whom all things were made. You don't have him. You're without him. Surely this should be enough to stir up the conscience of even those who are the farthest from God, John continued. But unfortunately for those who are without any of the blessings which Yeshua brings and who miss all the good work which Yeshua does, his presence is an irrelevant matter to them. And John continued, the great danger for many people today is to be without Christ, without Messiah, without Yeshua. That's the great danger, he told that congregation that, that morning. Can you see Yeshua being led away like a sheep to the slaughter, fastened to that cruel wooden cross, bleeding, dying for you? Without Yeshua, you are without the benefit of that great sacrifice. You are without the value of that atoning blood. Can you see him lying in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, asleep in death? And that sleep is a burial of all the sins of all the people for all time. You're without him. But without Yeshua, your sins are not atoned for. And they will go before you to judgment. They will shout for your condemnation. And they will drag you down without hope. And so John addressed his congregation who knew him before as the tale teller of the microphone grabbing lady. But John had lived a lot of life. He'd watched his children and grandchildren. He'd weathered over 50 years of marriage, and those of have been married for a long time, we know it's not always easy. 
And he continued and he concluded his message by referring to those who are with Yeshua. Who are with Yeshua now in this age. He had been speaking about those who were without Yeshua. And then he began to speak about those who are with Yeshua. I hope that's you today. That he is your personal Lord and Savior. You haven't tried to fill him in with religious things or filled him in with your own wisdom or replaced him with those type of things or your own success or your own goals. He continued with his message. He said, quote, the blood of Messiah, the blood of Christ, the blood of Yeshua has sealed your acceptance by God. And therefore, you can rejoice in the ransom he has paid and the forgiveness you have received with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do you know the Lord's forgiveness today? He forgives those who come to him and ask him. He cleanses us when we come to him and he asks us. He empowers us when we ask him for the measure of his Holy Spirit. And he continued, John did that day in South Carolina. And he said, and I hope that you don't forget the tremendous expense which it cost to purchase this precious blessing of redemption. He says, I hope you don't forget it. But you do have your Savior. You have Messiah. And what does that mean? John continued and said, God's word says, He that spared not his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The man who has Yeshua, John continued, the man who has Yeshua, the person that has Yeshua, has everything. Yeshua can be everything to you, every area of your life. He can be everything for you or to you. For once you get him, you are richer than you can imagine, John said. And with this statement, you are richer than you can imagine if you have Yeshua. He concluded his message. The reports are that no one tried to take away the microphone from him that day. There was no wrestling match over the microphone and who would control it. And I want to conclude here, friends. I pray at this Passover season, which we entered into last night at sundown, and not just during the Passover season, but from now on, I pray that you, that each of us, that we would become firmly committed to our Messiah. And I mean firmly committed. This world is going, it's like a ping pong ball back and forward. It's like, a, how many of you remember, uh, the, 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 what do you call those, uh, with the little metal ball? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> The, that thing, yeah. <laughs> but that's what this world is like right now. It's all over the place. Rumors of war, troubles everywhere, if you choose to listen to that stuff. But I pray that we will become firmly committed to Messiah at this time. I pray that we will serve him in word and in deed. That we won't, as it were, figuratively speaking, put the blood somewhere in the closet. 
or hide his redemption in our life somewhere behind the couch cushions where we know it, where it is, but no one else does. I pray that we will serve him in every area of our lives, whether it's relationships. Please acknowledge him in your relationships. Let him say yes, let him say no, but acknowledge him. You want his blessing because that which God bless is blessed. Your use of time, be wise, redeem the time for the days are evil. Your faithfulness with tithes and offerings. No one's going to, here in this congregation, going to sit around and check that out. I know the one who does, though. And he blesses the faithful. The person that's faithful in the least, he will bless more. It can be trusted. Also, your educational endeavors, the choices you make, your goals for the future. Let him be sovereign over those areas. Call on him. And if you do, if you allow him to be, as um, John pointed out, the person that allows Yeshua to be that in their life and over every area of the life, as he said it, is richer than you can imagine. Or if you prefer, how about the words of Psalm 23, verse 6. Let's say them together. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know that that statement and every statement in that psalm all comes from the first two words of that psalm, where it says, Adonai Ro'i, the Lord is my shepherd. And when the Lord is your shepherd, everything that's listed in Psalm 23 then connects to you. Is he your shepherd today? He must be. If he's not, someone else is, and that's not good news, my friends. <laughs> so this Passover, I want to leave you with Revelation chapter 22. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible, so I don't believe we have a, an overhead for it. But Revelation 22 says this, beginning in verse 12, in the Amplified Version. It says, Behold, I, Yeshua, am coming soon. And I shall bring my wages and rewards with me to repay and to render to each one just what his own actions, his own work merit. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the before all and the end of all. Blessed, happy, to be envied are those who cleanse their garments. Will you play, pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you truly are merciful to your people. That as we cry out to you, that you hear our cries and you respond according to your will. I pray for each individual hearing these words. That you would work in our lives, work in our hearts. In these last days, that we would not end up mired in the valley of regrets because we lived a life that was selfish. But Lord, I pray that you would bring us to the place in our lives that we need, the place that is according to your will. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your faithfulness. Thank you for your power. And thank you especially, O oh Lord, for your wisdom and your love. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. 
We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.